Welcome to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. This week, we are in a series called Fear Less. The phrase, don't be afraid, appears in the Bible more than any other biblical command, and for good reason. People of all generations have struggled to trust God when facing difficult or scary situations. Join us for Fear Less and learn from the biblical stories that can help us face our fears with faith. Uh, Some of you know that I've been working on um, writing another book. Over the years, I've shared, really for the last 35 years, I've shared various stories related to my life, and I decided to write a book about a lot of those stories, but more, because I realized that one of the themes of my life growing up for a long time was fear. I was just afraid of many things. And some years ago, I was trying to wonder why is it that I've struggled with fear? And I realized that part of it has to do with some things that happened when I was really young. For example, I think my twin brother and I uh, were both sent to school a little bit early. I don't think we were ready for school. Uh, It's because of where our birthday fell. My birthday every year is on or near Labor Day, which is also when most schools start. And while I was still four, my parents got a letter from the school system indicating that if my parents wanted, they could send us to school that year, or they could hold us back a year. They had a choice, and it had to do with the exact cutoff of when our birthday was. And our parents decided to send us ahead to school, and they thought this would give us kind of a head start, but I think it had the opposite effect. You see, one year makes a huge difference in terms of your development when you're growing up. My brother and I were probably the two youngest kids in our classes throughout school. Some of the kids in our classes had a full year of experience more than we did, and that's, that can be huge when you're young. Uh, in addition, though, to going to school early and feeling like I wasn't quite ready and I was kind of younger than the other kids and, and therefore they had certain advantages, my twin brother and I were also both short. When my dad passed away, he was about 5'8". My mom was, uh, well, when she passed away, about 4'11", maybe five feet tall. It just means they made small babies. And, and when we went to school, we were just, uh, we were tiny. Both of us were tiny. In fact, it took a while for us to finally start growing. But I've mentioned before that my claim to fame in my freshman yearbook in high school is that there's a picture of me standing on my tiptoes trying to reach the top part of my locker, which I couldn't do. The yearbook staff literally sends somebody to one of my classes asking for me by name because they heard there was this really, really short kid and he dragged me out of the class, took me to my locker, said, would you open it up and then I'm gonna put some books up here and just pretend like you're reaching for the books. I couldn't reach him. And that's, that's the picture and it was supposed to be kind of humorous like this is how small they make them these days. You know, these kids. And so I felt I was, I was just at a disadvantage and that impacts some other things. When you're small, when you're young, I think most of the people in my classes had advantages related to emotional maturity, athleticism, verbal, social skills. But I was kind of scarred a little bit by gym class. The first day, if I remember correctly, in gym class one year, the teacher decided that we were going to play what's called now, I think, dodgeball, but back then it was bombardment. Someone could maybe clarify it for me, like bombardment sounds a little bit too harsh. It wasn't too harsh of a word. 
The gym teacher blew the whistle. Some kid about twice my size took an aim for my head and succeeded. He hit me directly in the head. The face, or the glasses went off, not the face. It was that hard, but glasses went off, broken too when they hit the ground. And then for the next several weeks, I was wearing glasses with tape there. You know what that's like if that's happened to you. After that incident, I was a little bit, I mean, I was kind of terrified by what happened. And so I found that every single day I was in my prayer saying, God, please, I pray that uh, we won't do that again in gym class. Please, not bombardment, anything but bombardment. I was also a little bit concerned about gym class because oftentimes as a class we played um, group sports, uh, you know, like maybe kickball or basketball or whatever. And what the teacher would do is he or she would select, well, in this case it was he, would select a, a, key, a team captain from the other kids, you know, a couple guys that looked really um, athletic, and they were supposed to choose their team members from the rest of the students. And I knew they'd take one look at me and say, you know, you're not going to be much of an asset for our team. And so while each name was being called, or as they were pointing, I want this one, I want this one, I want this one, I was standing there pr- praying that I would not be the last one. And I pray that every time this happened. Lord, please, I don't want to be the last one. I don't want to be the last one. And I don't know that I ever was the last one. It was close. But I often thought, you know, the last one picked is not picked at all. The last one picked is the one that a team gets stuck with. And that's why it meant so much to me. And so I, I just, I, I think the whole thing was just difficult for me, but there was one other factor in my upbringing that impacted the fear I had, and that is that my dad was a pastor and I hated being a preacher's kid. Which, sorry for my kids. <laughs> I hated it. I was so embarrassed. One year in one of the classes, the teacher asked us to go around and say your name and what your parents did for a living. I said, my dad's a pastor. Everyone looked at me. I think in telling the story in the book, I say it was like I had a third eye in my forehead. I turned beet red. I thought I didn't want anyone to know my dad was a pastor. Why can't I have a father who does something respectable? And that's how I felt about it. And then being a preacher's kid meant other things happened. Like being asked to pray for the Thanksgiving meal for your class when you're nine or 10 years old. Who'd want to do that? Yet I was asked to do it because what my dad, my dad is a, was a minister. And so there were just lots of things as I was growing up. I was just kind of afraid a lot of, of things, including bullies. Not many, thankfully. I only had one serious bully when I was growing up, thankfully. But we were smaller, and it was a lot easier to pick on us because we were smaller. Well, today we're going to begin this series called Fearless that's already been mentioned here today. And... And we're going to be focusing on just biblical stories in this series, uh, examples of people who faced or confronted or overcame fear. And today specifically, I want to talk about the prayer life of Jesus. But some of the other resources we have, in this series, I'm going to talk about five resources we have. Number one is prayer. Number two is God's presence, that if you're aware of the fact God is with you and God is for you, it'll give you confidence The promises of God is another one. God's word is filled with amazing, tremendous promises that we can claim. One of the points is going to be the power of the past. People of Israel were told repeatedly, remember, 
remember. They were told to actually build altars or various things to remember what God had done because when you go forward and you come in a fearful situation, you need to remember how God took care of you in the past. And then finally, I want to talk about the people of God making the difference. Now today I want to focus on Jesus and I'd like to begin by asking a question related to Jesus. And I won't ask you to raise your hands, although I am, I am really curious what your response would be. But the question is this, uh, was Jesus ever afraid? I mean, do you think that Jesus was ever afraid? Now, I think most of my life I've thought that the answer would have been no, of course he was never afraid. I don't think that's correct anymore. Now, Jesus never didn't trust You know, Jesus never failed in terms of trusting his heavenly father. Jesus never worried. We're told that, you know, we shouldn't worry. It's a command in scripture. So Jesus never worried over things, but was he ever afraid? And I would argue yes, because he was a a man. And when I look at the story of Jesus, growing up my whole life, I had the right view, I think the correct view, that Jesus was fully God and fully man. And when I looked at the human attributes of Jesus, I could relate to them and I realized, yes, you were fully a man. You got thirsty, you got hungry, you had sleepless nights and all these things. But when we got into, or in my thinking, when I got into the emotional realm, I tended to think, well, those things don't apply. Jesus never really got angry, did he? Well, actually he did. And was Jesus ever afraid? Well, he never gave in to fear, but was he ever afraid? And I would argue, yes, he was. I think he was because we were all created with a proper and and good sense of fear. Fear is not always a bad thing. That's where I think we get it wrong. God gave us the ability to have certain fears. So if you stand near the edge of a cliff or something like that, you better be afraid. God made us that way so you don't do something foolish. You see a poisonous snake on the ground or something like that, you know you're afraid. That's That's a good thing, not a bad thing. And and I think that there are certain things we should be afraid of. Now, nowhere in the Bible does it explicitly say Jesus was afraid, but there are verses that look like that's what he was experiencing at the time. For example, right before Jesus was arrested and tried and crucified, we read in Matthew 26, 37, and 38, Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he, Jesus, began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is swallowed up in sorrow to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Please stay awake with me. I mean, I could just hear the kind of the pleading in Jesus' voice as he was facing this. I have never wrestled with something to the point of death. Now it says here he was deeply distressed. What was he distressed about? Well, we have a sense from his prayer. His prayer repeatedly was, please take this cup from me. Please don't, Father, ask me to go through with this. Jesus knew from the Bible what he was about to endure. He he, he knew the scriptures that were related to himself. He knew he was gonna suffer. He knew he was gonna be betrayed. He knew he was gonna have holes in his hands and his feet. He knew what he was going to go through. He was aware it was going to be a crucifixion, the most painful type of death in Jesus' day. Jesus knew all that, and as he was squarely confronting it, he was saying, I don't want to do it. 
but my life is not about what I want to do, which, by the way, is good for all of us. It's about what you want. I'm willing to go through with it. If this was truly fear here, it did not keep him from obeying God. Now, my takeaway here today is related to prayer, because, again, I think prayer is one of the solutions to dealing with fear in our lives. And my takeaway is if Jesus needed to pray, how much more do we? Because we find that Jesus prayed all the time. We're going to look at five examples here today. But Jesus constantly was relying on his heavenly Father in the form of prayer, turning to God about all these different things that he was facing, which is a lesson we need to learn as well. Now, I want to look at five occasions where Jesus prayed, and they all come from the book of Luke. Of course, all the Gospels record how Jesus prayed in various situations, but I wanted to just focus it to one Gospel. I thought it would be more simple. Let me just focus it on one Gospel, and I want to look at the five occasions where we read that Jesus prayed in the, the Gospel of Luke. The first one is that Jesus prayed at the beginning of his public ministry. Jesus prayed at the beginning of his public ministry. Now, no doubt about it, Jesus prayed before he began his public ministry. I think he, all his life he, he prayed. But this is the first occasion that's written in the, the Gospel of Luke. He was getting ready to launch his public ministry. He was, he was standing next to John the Baptist. He asked John to baptize him. And as he was standing there, we learned that he was doing something that I didn't notice until probably a few months ago, maybe a year, I don't know. It's found in Luke 3, 21 and 22. We read, when all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized as he was praying, heaven opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in a physical appearance like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, I take delight in you. I guess I've always envisioned that Jesus went to John the Baptist. John, of course, was baptizing uh, people as a repentance from sin baptism. Uh, this baptism that John did, by the way, uh, it's not the same as the baptisms we do. Ours is, is a, what's called a believer's baptism. Uh, people are baptized today when they put their faith in Christ, and baptism illustrates the object of their faith is one who died, who was buried, and raised again from the dead. That's why we put you under the water and raise you up again. But John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, and it's because this was John's job description to prepare the way for Jesus and so John's message is repent and turn from your sin and get right with God. And if you agree to that, then come over here and get baptized as a sign of the washing away of your sin. And the reason John did that was so that people's hearts would be soft toward God. The people would have dealt with the sin in their lives because sin does hinder us from seeing God clearly. And so John was preparing people's hearts to, to meet the Messiah. John said, one's coming after me that's greater than I am. You know, and, and John wanted them to be ready. So John's teaching this message of repentance or baptism of repentance, and then Jesus shows up. And Jesus says, I want you to baptize me. And John said, I, I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. John was kind of baffled by it because Jesus never sinned. So why was he coming to John to be baptized? And the simple answer is, by being baptized by John the Baptist, by Jesus allowing himself to be baptized by John the Baptist, he was affirming John's message concerning him. He was uh, confessing before all the people that John the Baptist is right. 
and he put himself under John's teaching, but the irony is that John's teaching pointed to Jesus. But that's why he was, he was baptized. But I think this bat, baptism served another purpose. It was what I would call an ordination. And so I had never noticed before that when Jesus went to be baptized, I just always envisioned that he went up to John, would you baptize me? And he just stood there and, and then they did the baptism. But the text we just read says he was doing something else while he was standing there. He was praying. He was praying. I, I, I hadn't noticed that before. What, what was he praying about? Well, it was the outset of his ministry. He was praying, I believe, for the Spirit of God to come upon him in power so that he could launch his ministry. That's what he was asking for. It says, while he was praying, the Spirit came down in the form of a dove. While he was praying, a voice from heaven said, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And, and God was saying, basically, this is the one. I'm laying my hands upon you. I'm ordaining you for the ministry that's coming. Now, as a practical application for all of us, one of the... Um, areas in which I was afraid or struggled with fear over the years was ministry. Sometimes I was being asked to do something that scared me to death. And the question is, what do I do when that happens? I remember the time when I lived in Columbus, Ohio, one of the pastors of the church I attended, it was a church of about 500, and the pastor came to me and said, we would really appreciate if you would become the next worship leader. Lead the congregation, I played the guitar, lead the congregation to worship, and I thought, I don't want to do that. I mean, my, I was so afraid. But I prayed about it. And I think Jesus was preparing. And it's important that before we do ministry that we pray about it. Because I'll tell you this, the moment you say, I am going to serve you, Christ, in some new way, you've got a, an adversary, the devil. And he's going to try to to knock you out before you even begin that ministry. And of course, that's what he tried to do with Jesus. Because around the same time as his baptism, what, did, what happened? Jesus went for 40 days in the wilderness and was tempted, but Jesus was ready. Now, Satan knew if he could get Jesus to sin, it'd be game over. The entire salvation plan would have been completely thrown out of the water. It wouldn't work anymore. God, or Satan knew that. Jesus did as well. But we find him praying here, give me what I need as I begin this ministry. But let's look at a second occasion where Jesus prayed, and that is when he needed to recharge. There's so many occasions where Jesus, when I look at the, the example of Jesus in different occasions, I get worn out just reading it. All these people, all these situations, all these healings, all this teaching and this and that, Jesus was going and going and going, and yet we read that he pulled away often to pray. And I think we need to learn from that example. Jesus prayed when he needed to recharge. Luke 5, 15 and 16 goes this way. But the news about him, Jesus, spread even more and large crowds would come together to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Yet he often withdrew to deserted places and he prayed. Now those verses are put together for a reason to see how this thing works, that in our lives many times we have these seasons that are almost unbearable. And it's a time like that we need to pull away. The, the irony here is that that's when we, we feel we need to pull away the least. If I've got a lot to do, who has time to stop and pray? Who has time to read my Bible? I've, I've got too much to do. But I would suggest that we have no other choice. I think it was Dwight L. Moody that was attributed to saying these words, I have so much to do today, I better spend an extra hour in prayer. And that was, I think, the habit of his life. 
Now, I've thought of examples in my own life where because I pulled away in a busy time, I received from God everything I needed. And it was a wonderful thing. I, I think of examples related to the Sunday talk or the message, whatever you want to call it. But there have been times where I was working on it during the week and nothing was coming. Kind of like a writer that dries up with creativity. I just, I just can't do this. I don't want to do this. I can't do this. Monday came and went. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I don't, I don't have it. Programming team is saying, you know, we need to put together some slides for Sunday. I'm not ready. On about a half a dozen occasions, when that happened, when I thought I have too much to do and I was feeling the pressure and the weight of it and just couldn't get anywhere, I, would, I jumped in the car and I drove up to Chestnut Ridge Park and there's a particular place I walk and I walked and prayed for two to four hours. I said, Lord, you gotta give it to me now. I'm just listening to you this time. And on about a half a dozen occasions, I did that more than a half a dozen occasions, but on about a half a dozen occasions, while I was walking and praying and taking notes on my phone, it's like the whole message came in mass, the whole thing. I had all four points in 10 minutes after praying about it an hour, but it's like, there it is, there it is, there it is. And I was so grateful. I thought, boy, that took like half the time it normally does to actually put together a talk. But it's because despite the fact I was busy, I pulled away to pray, and Jesus did that as well. Third situation where Jesus prayed was before making important decisions. I can guarantee you Jesus never made a single important decision without praying. There's no, no important decision. Now, the reason I say important, by the way, is that I doubt that Jesus asked his father whether he should eat the peas or the carrots. And that's not an important decision. But any important decision, that's what he did. And we have an example of this in Luke 6, 12, and 13, where Jesus recognized that this, uh, was, he needed to make an important decision. He had to get with his God to do this. Luke 12, 12, or 6, I'm sorry, Luke 6, 12, and 13. During those days, he went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. When daylight came, he summoned his disciples and he chose 12 of them. He also named them apostles. So Jesus was faced with a, a, a decision he needed to make about the people that he was going to invest in primarily as his apostles. And so we find that in order to make that decision, what did he do? He prayed all night long. Now this time in Jesus' ministry, he would have had hundreds of people that were following him from place to place. But he, need, he was to choose 12. He knew that God wanted him to choose 12, but which 12? And how did he get to the answer? He prayed all night. And I envision he prayed for them by name. What about this one? What about this one? What about this one? And when the morning came, he had absolute clarity. Okay, now I know what God wants me to do. Now I imagine there was some discussion going on here because I suspect that when he got to Judas, what about Judas Iscariot? That Jesus would have said something like as he was praying, Judas has a bad heart. I know what he's really like. He's a thief and everything else. But his father said, Judas, he needs to be part of this. He's part of the plan. But Jesus didn't move ahead without getting to the answer 
of this. And this is important for big decisions because even as Christians, we make big decisions sometimes and don't even think to pray about it. I won't ask you to raise your hands here, but I'd be curious if any of you ever bought a house and never asked God about it first. Did you think to pray like, Lord, is this what you want? Is this the right house? Oftentimes we don't do that. We'll get counsel from other people, but every big decision to pray about it until you get the answer. What about getting married? I I know some people that got married without even asking whether this was God's will. I can think of one occasion where I told this guy, you know, from where I'm standing and where some of my friends are standing, uh, this, your relationship here is not a good thing. And we gave reasons why. We don't think that God wants you, at least at this time, to marry this person. That was our counsel. But he wasn't willing to get counsel about it, and he didn't even want to hear what God had to say about it. So he married her. Marriage lasted about a year, maybe less. Jesus never made major decisions without including his father. And I want to suggest that God the Father wants to be included in everything we do. No, he doesn't care about peas or carrots. But all the things that we do in this life, he wants to share in our lives and and the things we do and the decisions we make. And Jesus was willing to do that. Fourth lesson, Jesus prayed whenever he had a special need. Uh, Jesus was always praying for just specific prayer requests. Um, for God to work in different ways. Most of the time with Jesus, it was like a miracle, either healing or some other miracle where we read Jesus prayed and then the miracle took place or whatever. This was important for Jesus to bring these requests to his father because my understanding of the nature of Jesus was that when he operated, or when he, well, when he walked the earth or when he operated in his ministry or whatever, he didn't do it in his own strength or power. He did not rely on his divine attributes. He was, Jesus is God and was God. And, and we read about amazing miracles that only God could do. But when Jesus walked the earth, I believe he limited himself to his humanity. Every miracle he performed, he said, well, I, I'm doing this because I saw the Father doing it, or I'm doing this because the Spirit of God is giving me, me the ability to do it. And so in this sense, he's like we all are. This is why Jesus went this route, by the way, so we can't all say, well, you're Jesus. So, so I understand why this works for you, but not for me. No, Jesus said, no, I'm gonna rely on God just like you're supposed to, and he modeled it for us. And so we find Jesus praying right before he raises Lazarus from the dead and before he healed some other people and he did various miracles, we find him praying. Now, one example from the Gospel of Luke is found in chapter 9, 28 and 29. We read, he took, Jesus took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Now, this was toward the end of Jesus' ministry. He took the three closest friends of his up on this mountain. But again, I've missed the phrase in the past where it says they went up on the mountain specifically to pray. There's something I need to talk to God about. And so they make their way up up on the mountain. Now, why was this important? Now, this is... This is uh, an event called in in theological terms or whatever, the the transfiguration. 
And, and so Jesus was changed before their very eyes. He, his skin and everything, he became like the sun. I mean, he was, he was radiating. And then, of course, Moses and Elijah showed up. I mean, this, this transfiguration is quite an amazing thing, but why? And what was Jesus praying about when it says they went up on the mountain to pray? And I would like to suggest that what he was praying about was for this event to take, hap- to take place, for this to happen. And the reason it was important is because right before this happened, either the same chapter or, or shortly before, at the end of the previous chapter, we read that Jesus announced to his disciples what was going to happen to him. I'm going to be leaving you. I'm going to be put to death by the leaders. I'm going to rise again. And he also informed them he was going to be returning to his Father in heaven. And I believe that what Jesus was praying as he stood on this mountain that we call the Mount of Transfiguration, he was praying this prayer, Father, I want these three that I love so much to see the glory I had with you before I came down here. I want them to get a glimpse of who I really am, the Son of God and God the Son in my glory. That's what he was revealing to them because I believe that it was important that they hold on to this, what happened here in the days ahead as they went about preaching the good news about Christ. And so John even writes about this, the one who wrote the Gospel of John and the three epistles. He writes these words along these lines. He said, and I saw him with my own eyes change, declared him to be the Son of God and God the Son. So John begins his gospel, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. How did John know that? Well, I'm, I'm sure it's based on what Jesus said, but this, this helped. He saw what Jesus was like. He got a glimpse through the curtain. And I believe that this particular thing that Jesus was asking for was going to help them in the days ahead. Now, if you read your Bible, you see a lot of wonderful things happen in the midst of praying. One of them is that the church was born. 120 disciples up in an upper room. What were they doing? Praying. And the church was born during that season. And so we should learn from this example. Whatever needs we have, we can bring them to our Father. Whatever concerns we have, we can bring them to our Father. The final lesson from Jesus' prayer life that I'd like to talk about anyway is that Jesus prayed whenever he faced difficult temptations or fearful trials. Um, Jesus, did again, he did not want to operate on his own strength. He needed, when he was facing the, the trying times of his life, the temptations he needed to be connected with his heavenly Father. And so as we get toward the end of Jesus' ministry again, kind of coming full circle, we find him on on the Mount of Olives praying. Only now we're in the Gospel of Luke. And Jesus encouraged his disciples, what I want you to do is pray and watch so you don't fall into temptation. Keep praying so you don't fall into temptation. It's found in Luke 22, 39 and 40. We read, he went out and made his way as usual to the Mount of Olives and the disciples followed him when he reached the place. He told them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Now the question is, what was the temptation? Why was Jesus praying so much and so intently on this occasion? And why did Jesus on three occasions go back to his disciples and say, couldn't you stay awake for one moment? You need to watch and pray that you don't fall into temptation. What is the temptation? It's to run. 
It's to run in fear. Jesus knew what was about to happen. He knew he was about to be arrested. He knew the only way that they would stay firm and committed to him would be if they were connected with the Heavenly Father in prayer. And I think Jesus understood about his own life that if he didn't stay connected with the Father in prayer, he himself would be tempted to not go through with it. And so we read a few verses later, Luke 22, 41 and 42, then he withdrew from them a stone's throw, knelt down and began to pray, Father, if you're willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not by my will, but yours be done. Now I think every temptation we face is an opportunity to turn to God and to pray. It could be a temptation to not do something because we're afraid or to flee out of fear or it could be a temptation to commit some kind of a sin or whatever. But prayer is a vital part of this because we're, God didn't create us to be able to face these things on our own. You can't live out the Christian faith in your own strength. We need to be connected to our God. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so Jesus recognized that. That's why you say, why did he keep going back and forth and he kept praying the same thing? He needed every moment of that prayer. He'd pull away for a moment, talk to his disciples, and then say, I gotta get back and pray. He knew what was at stake. He knew it was gonna be hard. And he persevered. And Luke records an interesting thing that happened while he was praying. Verse 43, it says that God sent an angel to help him. God knew what he needed so that he could go the distance. Now, this, God does this for us as well. I don't mean an angel, but I mean that God will provide a way for us when we're tempted to see how we can escape it. Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He said, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you may be able to bear it. Now, he doesn't say he's going to remove your trial or your temptation. He says, no, I'm, I will show you, you, I will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. And I will provide somewhere a, a way of escape, but you've got to see it and you've got to take the way of escape that he provides. But I don't think we'll even see the way of escape if we're not praying. So we come back to my main question this morning. If Jesus needed to pray, how much more do we? I mean, you think about Jesus. He walked in constant fellowship with the Holy Spirit and with his Father. No one had ever done it like Jesus did. He walked in constant fellowship with God and the Spirit. But in addition to that, we read, he pulled away and prayed. I would have thought if anyone did not need to pray, it would have been Jesus because he was just in constant fellowship, but he prayed like no one else. And we need to learn from this example because prayer is not just a spiritual exercise. It's not something that's just optional for us as Christians. It's essential. God wants us to learn to rely upon him. And so we see this example of Jesus. He prayed at the beginning of his ministry. He prayed when he needed to recharge, which, by the way, this is one of the reasons we emphasize take a Sabbath day and get away from all work. It's for this reason, to connect with God. Jesus prayed before making major decisions. Jesus prayed whenever there was a special need. Anything that came up, he learned to bring it to God. And then whenever he faced difficult trials or temptations or fearful situations, we read that he paid, uh, he went ahead and, and prayed about those things as well.
everything that we face. So I want to encourage you to just even think about your own prayer life. Do you view prayer as being vital? Do you learn the example from Jesus? You know, the disciples of Jesus were so impressed with his prayer life, they said, teach us to pray. And I've often thought that it's interesting he didn't say, teach us how to pray. They wanted to pray like Jesus, both in terms of the content, but also they wanted to be prayers like Jesus. And this is something we should want as well. Now, next week, I'd like to talk about overcoming uh, fear by remembering that Jesus is with us and he's for us because if God is for you, no one can be against you and this is why we don't need to be afraid. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for the example that you've given us of your son Jesus who just modeled what it means to stay connected with you, to bring things to you, to learn what it means to hear from you and respond. Father, we acknowledge that in our pride we go through our lives and just ignore you Many times a whole day will pass and we've forgotten to talk with you and yet we need you so desperately. I ask you to impress upon it our hearts how important this is that we learn to be people of prayer. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.